Hi, I'm Paul Cheel, and you're listening to the PR podcast, Smoke Signal. Throughout the year, many books, blogs, and podcasts have come up in the varied discussions that I've had. So for the final episode of 2019, I wanted to put together a summer reading list for practitioners looking for inspiration and entertainment over the Christmas break. I'm thrilled to have spoken to four different authors. Tony Langham is a UK practitioner and named one of the 300 most influential PR people in the world by PR Week. And he speaks on his 2019 book, Reputation Management. PR warrior Trevor Young talks about his recently published book, Content Marketing for PR. Mark Jones, whose book Beliefonomics will hit the proverbial online shelves in January, discusses his upcoming book. And finally, author of the cult advertising classic, Where Did It All Go Wrong?, Ian Pritchard looks back at that book, but also looks forward to, an, to his next book, which will be released in February. Titled Shot by Both Sides, What We Have Here is a Failure to Communicate. In these brief discussions, each of the authors give us a snapshot of their books, their journey to publishing, and what they took out of the experience. I hope you find some time to relax and read at least one of these books over the Christmas holidays. Have a happy and safe holiday. Thanks for your continued support, and please do remember to rate Smoke Signal on iTunes or subscribe by the blog. Tony Langham is co-founder of leading UK reputation management consultancy, Lansons. As CEO, Tony splits his time between building reputations of fast-growing companies and protecting reputations of those during times of crisis. He's been named one of the 300 most influential PR people in the world by PR Week. And this year, he published his first book, Reputation Management, The Future of Corporate Communications and Public Relations. Commissioned by PRCA as part of the Practice Guide series, the book contains essays, interviews, and checklists by some of the world's leading thinkers on reputation management. Tony, thank you for joining me on this episode of Smoke Signal. Perhaps we can start by giving us a, give us a bit of a synopsis of your book. What's it about and, and who is it aimed at? Yeah, Paul, and thank you very much, Paul, for, for, for inviting me. Um, I mean, the book, the book makes the central case that's in the title, that reputation management is the future of corporate communications and public relations. And that's that's what I believe. About about five years ago, I started to think about what we did. And I started to say, Lansons is a reputation management business, and I'm a reputation management professional. Because I found that, that what organizations needed to, to succeed in the modern world and excel was a great reputation. And while that comes from what they do, you know, Rolex making great watches, um, Lego making great toys. They can't have that great reputation unless they manage that as well, unless they behave properly, unless their behavior matches. And of course, as we know, their communications up to, up to speed. So I, I realized that we have to talk to clients about their behavior. And if we work inside an organization, talk to the organization about its behavior. You know, Stephen Covey said, um, you can't talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. And because we have to talk about behavior, um, that's why I believe we're, we're, we're all about reputation management. And the book details that, that process. And how do you find that goes down with clients? So I guess there's a lot of buzzwords out there, right, around reputation, purpose, image, all these different kind of areas. Do you feel that resonates when you start to talk about it's about reputation versus, I guess, talking about PR? Well, I'm absolutely certain that reputation is a subject that's discussed at the boardroom or in the cabinet if it if it's a country we're we're talking about. So reputation is the thing. I mean, there are people who argue you can't manage reputation, you know, you, you kind of, you get the reputation you deserve. But I, I sort of reject that. And I, the conversation I like to have is you can measure your reputation. It's very clear what it is. Um, you can manage it through a structured process, which I, which I outline. So I find that people are focusing on reputation. That is a board level subject. And certainly here in, in Europe and the UK, public relations or, or even more so in its shortened version PR isn't something that's on the board agenda. Um, and I kind of think of the, you know, our role in a in the situation Boeing found itself. 
I think the the kind of advisor that an organisation needs when the when the first plane has crashed is is to say to, is is to strongly argue that we don't know why it crashed. Yeah, of course we can continue flying, but we should ground the the fleet, and that's what the reputation manager the good one in hindsight would have said whereas the communication professional just says okay board you've made your decision you've decided to carry on flying our job is to communicate the decision you've already made and that's kind of what i see as the distinction and i find organizations can can get that and, and grasp that difference and so almost elevating the role of the advisor so as you say it's not just communication where we have an important role for the broad brand reputation yeah ab- absolutely and and here Certainly, and obviously I'm speaking from a European perspective, organizations, I think it's the same way you are as well, Paul, organizations are obsessed with their purpose. You know, what is, we know, why are they here? You know, young people want to know, why should I work for this organization? What's this organization do for society? And, and I think we're also the people because we see the outside world and we, we present it back to the company in a transparent way. You know, we don't gloss over what the outside world thinks. I think we're the ideal people to work with, with organizations on their purpose and make sure that they're authentic and real and not you know and not and not fanciful and 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 pr speak and so is there one key takeaway or was there a takeaway that you took from the from i guess editing the book in one way because there's a there's a array of different authors and contributed essays in there is there something that you took away that was really an insight from you from that process yeah i i think as a person that's been you know advising organizations for sort of 35 years i I'm a little bit, you know, process resistant myself, but it it's, it made me realize that as management consultancies do, that the the best people in our profession, if they're defining a corporate purpose or if they're approaching a very difficult situation, they they do have a very structured process driven approach, and it's made me it's made me realize that I have to adapt to that world, particularly with larger organisations and corporations. That I I have to have more process to the to 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 my thought and to my work. I guess that's been my take out. I mean, the great thing about the book, of course, was just what you said. I you know, I ended up with eighty-two, you know, fellow contributors. Um, I think about, I think twenty-six people wrote essays. I interviewed eight people at, at length, and I and I got case studies from a whole a whole host of people all, all around the world, and and that was just brilliant. You know, just talking to to people all around the world, doing that, putting that together. Um, I mean, that was the best bit of doing the book. Yeah, was there a favorite? Oh, favorite really... case study or a favorite author that, that contributed an essay? That's 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 really that's really really hard. I mean, I love. I suppose illustrating what we do. I, I asked the Hong Kong Jockey Club um, to, to 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 write their reputation management plan, and and um, and Winfried Winifred, the the chief executive there, who I know because because I also have a a non executive job in the British horse racing industry. I asked them to write their reputation management plan. And it's all, and it's all about the integrity of sport and making sure that 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 horse racing at Hong Kong, which is probably the leading horse racing venue in the world, you know, and it, you know, commercial terms, you know, it's a, it's a, on a par with the great operations in in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, it, their their plan isn't a communications plan. I think any anyone who thinks of themselves as a corporate communications professional, seeing that reputation management plan, realizes that that there's a bigger deal out there if we're going to talk about reputation. So probably from a professional point of view, that's my favourite. Um, from other points of view, you know, I love talking to um, you know the the Duke of Richmond and Gordon about how the Goodwood Estate you know develops its brand values, you know, because they're not the boring things that you see you know often in in from banks, you know, like integrity, their their daring do, and you know commitment to excellence, and 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 seeing their brand values come to life and their purpose come to life, that was really fun as well. So, what inspired you to write the book? Was this something you've been thinking about for a while? I, yeah, I'm allowed to be honest. I, I, I think I am. I, I actually had it on my life plan that I wanted to do. I don't have a life <laughs> plan. But, you know, I have these things that I wanted to do. So I did actually want to write a book. And I and I do have other books that I want to write. Um and that was kind of a happy coincidence that the, when the PRCA asked me, I was I was I was a bit too enthusiastic, probably. But yeah, I was dead keen. Um, so that I, I wanted to. And I think I wanted to because I wanted to make myself think about what I've done for all these years. And that that probably the second best thing is that you know and i and i and i went and read the the, the books that have been written specifically about reputation management and i'm happy to talk about the best of those but but i went and read 
I think most of the books that have been written or Skip read them all. And that was brilliant as well, because I'll be honest, that wasn't something that I was going to do otherwise. But it was a great did thing you, that to do. And did you find that as you read more and more, did you feel, well, there's not much left, everything's been covered? Or did you feel there was specific white space that needed to be addressed directly? Yeah, both. Both. So my favourite book is is by John Dawley and Fred Heliogos here, which is also called Reputation Management. Um, the fourth edition of that actually comes out in, in 2020. First one, I think, was 2007. Um, John's, I got to know John as well through his process, another great thing. So talking to him as I was writing was great. Um, he defined reputation in, I thought, the perfect way um which is which is performance plus behavior plus communication um multiplied by authenticity that's what reputation comes from and it's and it's the sum of what all your audiences feel about you and i added the reputation institute's sort of estimation that every most organizations have eight key audiences so because john had written that I just said to John, John, can I just can I just write your definition out as the best definition? And he said, yes. So I didn't, I, I just, you know, defining reputation, it takes about half a page in the book because he'd already done it brilliantly. And I just put it in one of the first pages. So that I felt had been done. When I looked at the books, I'll be absolutely honest, none of the books had a good global spread. So, so having case studies from all around the world was great. Um, most of the books, were written by men and so and I obviously I'm a man so and I wrote a third of mine so but but I made sure that of the other two thirds you know approaching half of that is written by women so I I did the best job I could do on on having a a, a gender balance and I think that where businesses are is that the establishment's under threat as we know um and you know there's a, the the two most important things in in I think democratic society and the, and the key to whether you know western style democracies will will succeed is is can they make their societies more equal and can they tackle climate change? I mean, they're the, the two key things. And I, you know, I was able to write that through some of the book. And that's what I've spent most of this year talking about. You know, it is business's job um, to tackle inequality. Um, and it is business's jobs to, 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 to tackle climate change. And if you want to have a great reputation, that's what your key audiences expect to see of you. So I was able to write that through the book in, in, in a way that, that reflected what I think, which, I, which, which probably isn't out there in the other books on, on reputation. Yeah, great. And I do agree that that definition of reputation management seems very succinct. And, and I think uh, highlights your point that it's not all about communication, right? It is the behaviour as well. So there's a, if, if you talk about traditional PR and communicating something, well, you can't put uh, lipstick on a pig, right? So it is about the behaviour of those firms as much as the communication aspect of that. So a, an advisor has to be able to provide you know strong advice on that whole picture. Absolutely. And also, you know, I don't know if we ever could, but we can't control things anymore. I mean, it used to be, you know, and it's still to some extent is true, but in the corporate world in the eighties and through the nineties, you know, your what you what you as a corporate communications professional had to say to the chief executive was, you know, we can control this and we can give you an element of control. And I think we know now that sometimes we just have to say, We can't control this. You know, your employees are gonna talk, people are gonna talk about you. You know, the best the best defense you can have is actually to do what you say you're going to do and for all of your employees and stakeholders to believe in you. And if they believe in you and see that your purpose is true and you actually do what you say you're going to do, then they're going to, they're going to fight your battles for you and win your arguments for you. And so we have to move to a, you know, we have to move to that no control model, but giving an element to control by actually being authentic and having a purpose and living that. And I think that's, that's the big switch, isn't it? That's changed. It's fundamentally changed all of our jobs and what we do every day. Can you give us a bit of more, bit more detail around the PRCA, PRCA practice guides? It's probably something. I mean, they sound like a great initiative, but probably something that that the listeners here in Australia probably don't know too much about. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think the series is good. I mean, there's there's a, a book from Richard on how to. Make, if you're in the agency world, Richard's book on on how to to manage and run an agency is is great. Uh, Danny's book on on digital PR is good, and there's two from from Adrian, one on crises and one on um a, you know more a more tools based book, a tactical book on on writing for the media. So they're the first they're the first steps in the in the series. I know Francis Ingham, the the, the sort of director general, is is committed to the project, and I think. There'll be more things coming along, so I would 
you know, I would say the other books are good uh, and, um, and and give them a read. Um, you know, obviously go for mine first, but, you know, then give the others a go. <laughs> but what's the brief, what was the brief for you and what's the purpose of those books? Is it education and knowledge for practitioners or what, what was the brief for you in delivering this book? Yeah, my, my, it, it, mine, mine was aimed at um, practitioners, both both inside organisations and and inside consultancies in all sectors and 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 all around the world. And that's what I that's what I took it as. That's why I've reflected things internationally, and that's and uh, and, and that's why I've, uh, there's a there's a complete you know cross sector approach to the case studies and the things covered in the book. So yeah, it's 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 all of those, and also. And I also people studying it, you know, I, I mean, I believe that rep, for reputation management to succeed, it needs to be seen as a management discipline, not a communication discipline. So I would see that, you know, people doing an MBA or people that, that aspire to be chief executives of organizations um, should 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 understand reputation and reputation management as well. And that covers all graduates and students in the, in the field as well. And I, you know, I I did have a little side sort of objective in the book to make it appealing to students. So I asked them, I asked them what they wanted and they said lots of case studies. So that was the, that was the genesis for the, you know, the section of the book, which is just sort of, you know, 38 case studies, just back to back written out or less than 250 words. Um, that was the, that was the genesis for that was the feedback I got from, from students before I wrote the book. Well, it's interesting. It's being commissioned by the PRCA. In, in the way you talk about it, there, it sounds like you see repu- reputation management. I guess subsuming PR or, or, or potentially even replacing PR as a as a discipline. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I mean, what I've found in the year is that saying we manage reputation is a, has a, has a meaning that's slightly different from saying you know we are reputation we are a reputation management profession because to some people the reputation management profession is something they associate with you know something something people in trouble do in times of crisis or something yeah. lawyers do as well whereas managing reputation seems broader so i for that reason i know that managing reputation has a different meaning from reputation management but outside of that I mean, I, I have a broader view of what you would have called marketing services, that there will only be two, that there'll be reputation management and there'll be integrated marketing and everything, consumer PR, advertising, you know, direct marketing, um, corporate communications, it will all it will all fall within those two broad disciplines. But, you know, that's a long term, that's a long term thing. But in 20 years, that's how, you know, I expect our what we used to call marketing services or what we call marketing services to sort of rationalize into these areas. Because we know that in organizations, technology is meaning de-layering and, and de-siloing. So it's going to happen to what we do as well. And it's already happening. All right. So where can people get the – where's the best place for people to get the book? Well, you can buy it from the publisher, which is Emerald Publishing. So go to their website. Most people seem to buy it on Amazon. Um, so um, it's 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 on Amazon, easy to find there. So Amazon or or Emerald, or the Emerald Publishing, are the are the, are the two places um, you can get it. And would you? And finally, would you have any uh, advice for any budding authors out there who may feel like you did that they've got a book in them? Would it, is it something you would uh, recommend as a process to go through? completely recommend it i mean i i mean i love writing anyway i know you do as well paul and 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 you and your your business do a great job too i mean i i recommend writing thinking through issues structurally um i I recommend reading the things that the best things in the profession and and listening to podcasts and, and and collecting and i i suppose you know if you got something to say yeah i i i would go through the process i think um Having been commissioned, that obviously was better better for for me. So I, I I now would say, you know, go through the synopsis process. You know, if necessary, get an agent, but try and get commissioned. But 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 clearly, you know, you can do it, and then find a publisher, or even do it and self publish. But the process is a is sort of a cleansing and self learning thing that we, you know, you'll be better after it for sure. Great, thank you so much for your time, Tony. That's been really interesting. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Paul, and, and and really thanks for asking me, and 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 um, and good luck to you and 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 everyone in the business as well. Trevor Young is an experienced public relations and marketing practitioner and founder of Digital Citizen, a content-driven communication firm based in Melbourne.
A regular speaker at industry events and one of Australia's earliest PR bloggers and tweeters, his blog, PR Warrior, was ranked in the world's top 100 PR blogs to follow in 2018. He also featured on episode three of Smoke Signal, discussing the need for brands to embrace content marketing as a way to engage and influence consumers. Trevor has just released his second book, Content Marketing for PR, How to Build Brand Visibility, Influence and Trust in Today's Social Age which looks at how content marketing can help brands stand out and get noticed in an increasingly noisy and cynical marketplace. Trevor, thanks for joining me on this episode of Smoke Signal. Tell us about your book, Content Marketing for PR. What's it about and who's it aimed at? Thanks, Paul. It's called Content Marketing for PR and and, and what's the, on the label on the tin is what's in the tin. Um, didn't think I'd be too cute with the title on this one. And basically what I've tried to do is look at content marketing through a PR lens. And, you know, content is so important and we've been doing it for so long in the PR industry, but I felt that the, the content marketing uh, conversation per se had been hijacked a little bit by the uh, the inbound marketing crowd with the sales funnels and everything, and that's fine. That's right for an, a, a, you know, a number of types of businesses, but it's not right for everyone. And I just felt that we were sort of getting left behind. I thought the opportunity for the PR industry was uh, was such that you know content we can use content to play a bigger game. And so I just struck out to uh, – this has been bugging me for a while and um, I, I'd been blogging about it and having conversations with people online. So basically it is is that looking at content marketing through a PR lens and how can um, – and, and I guess when you start talking about content marketing for PR, you've got to say what PR isn't, then you say what PR is and you see what content marketing is and then content marketing for PR. So it builds up. There's a little bit of a narrative there. And um, really, it's for anyone who's struggling to cut through the noise. They've got a message um, that they need to get out into the marketplace, which is, as you know, a lot of, and they're not just businesses. There's, there could be community groups, nonprofits, government agencies, or thought leaders or emerging um, professional experts. And so basically, the, the, the snapshot is become your own media channel and tell your your stories like a PR pro is what I tried to get there. So how to build visibility and influence and trust um, in today's crazy, crazy, mixed up, disrupted world. And is it really building on a lot of what you talk about on your blog, which I'm sure a lot of listeners would be familiar with? Yeah, it is, Paul. It's. Uh, I think the thing with – the great thing about blogging is you start – um, you know, experimenting with thoughts and ideas and insights and, and see what starts to resonate with, with you personally, but with other people when you start sharing it. And um, there's chunks of the blog, uh, you know, th- well, topics that I've talked about in the blog have found their way into the book. And and it's not until you sort of start connecting all the dots that it just starts, oh, now I've got a book. And it might take, probably took me a year or so for these you know, little informational strands to come together, these insights to come together. Um, so I could put it, it's got to be sort of kind of some cohesive thinking to, and hopefully it is, um, to, to, to make a book. And, and at the start, I thought it was going to be, you know, in, in, in publishing, they say, make sure you niche down, you, <laughs> you know, or you get a niche, <laughs> as they say in the US. Um, and, you know, zero in on a target audience and I think that's fine for a lot of books but for something like this you know again if you've got a story or a message to get out into the marketplace you know you could be running this is stuff that you could be doing if you're you run a business um, if you're a business leader a community leader if you're a solopreneur or you know a, a professional expert speaker thought leader um, this is right in your wheelhouse as well it's certainly relevant for them but looking back at it now, and it's, it's you know, for the PR industry per se and people working in PR and comms, this is extremely relevant at this point. And if you're not doing a lot of the stuff that's in this book, then you're not, you know, communicating to the fullest possible extent that perhaps you should be on behalf of your clients or the, or the company or organization you work for. And so why do you say that's now more important than ever for practitioners? Is it really that, um, as you mentioned, the noise and the noise, noisy marketplace that we're all playing into? It's it's just so, the, the, old, the old rules don't apply anymore? It, yeah, well, there's parts of the old rules and sometimes common sense still plays a role. The only problem is, as we always say, <laughs> common sense is not that common. But, you know, a lot of the strategic thinking around comms is um, still very worthwhile. Uh, but everything's, you know, is sped up. 
the marketplace, as we know, is not just hyper-connected, but hyper-empowered. Um, so as Richard Edelman once said, you know, the influence has shifted from the hands of a few to the fingertips of many, but now these are the tools that they're using. And if we're not using it, what's going on? You know, we need to be, you know, marketers are still trying to find the hack in the system and, and uh, trying to, you know, uh, growth hack their way. And, you know, just because they can, they are. And I think that that's causing more unrest within the world of consumer land. And, and people are just a jack of being attacked by all sides and being promoted to. And I think PR is so well suited to add that value and to tell those stories and to build relationships with people. Gosh, it, you know, this, 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 what I liked about doing the book is it, it allowed me to go back and rediscover PR again. And, um, you know, going through what it is, what it isn't, um, I've always had strong views on that. But, you know, my my simple view is that it's about deepening the level of connection with the people who matter the most to the success of our business, our cause or our issue. And uh, we've got just a myriad of tools now to do that more effectively. And really, I say we, we can now do it in PR and comms. We can do what we always should have been doing. We just didn't have the tools to do it cheaply, effectively, um, quickly. So what was your inspiration for writing this book, which is, which is your second? Yep, second book. First book was micro-domination, more looking at the – it was more looking at the micro-mavens who were changing the landscape, the early movers, um, in terms of building their own uh, digital celebrity um, – digital celebrities, the early influencers, Paul. And now look at the influences. Mm-hmm. And that's another topic for another day. Um, but the inspiration really was it just had to come out. <laughs> the dots were joining and that's when I just started pulling it together. And and uh, as I said, sometimes you can, in the rearview mirror, you can see it. But at the time, you might be blogging and talking about things in podcasts. It's then just being able to thread those together to make some make it cohesive. And uh, it just had to come out. It was just going to come out of me at some point. It's uh, like an exorcism, could I say? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, in a good way. It's the devil and child. Still- it's the devil child. <laughs> <laughs> and the book's very much a how-to guide. So, is it one of those books that you'd say you read from cover to end, or is it one of those books that you pick up and and pick out the elements that you feel are most relevant for you right now? Listen, it's in, it's in um, three parts. So um, you know, think, do, and then the the inspiration side of things, um, where the case studies. I think the th- I think the think part, the early part, uh, that sets the scene is very important because some people will get it, but uh, and be aware of it, but maybe not. They might disagree with some of the the, the not no, so much the insights, but the way I've come to it, but but so far there's been sort of a lot of agreement that that's where a lot of people are thinking. And, and I think it sets the scene in the landscape because the second part probably won't make as much sense unless you've read the first part. It doesn't mean you can't cherry pick. It's definitely, it's definitely written as a book that you just cherry pick and you don't have to read cover to cover. But I do think the early part, it's good to get in. Probably less so marketing and PR comms people if they think they've got a handle on what PR is today. But if their view is that it's just media relations, then I think they need to go back and have another look and um, see see what's what. Um, one part of the book I think is important, and it was the hardest chapter to write, was um, content marketing for PR versus content uh, for inbound marketing and trying to make the distinction between the two because there is grey area, there is definite crossover and I'm not saying one's right or wrong, it's just what's right for you and I think what I was finding, Paul, was that, you know, people were saying this is the way you have to do it and whatever, whatever and there are truisms, of course. There are truisms like understand your audience and, you know, go deeper and, and you know, be more expansive with your content and and but think about your audience first and they're truisms across both areas of the content marketing realm but I think that Again, there are if you blindly follow the inbound marketing people uh, uh, as a PR person, you're going to find yourself in strife because that's it's a it's almost a different quasi discipline. And so I had to use two examples. I used Mark Schaefer, who um, I think is a terrific blogger and author and speaker and an ex marketing traditional marketing guy, who's using all of these tools and whatever in this book. Not 
he's not, he hasn't taken the book and done it. He's been doing it for, for a decade. And then there's a guy like Neil Patel, who's an online marketer, who's terrific at SEO and inbound marketing and building traffic for websites and, and all of that. So Mark is very much around the connections he builds and the reputation. And, and Neil is very much, you know, he's a real professional expert. Mark's probably more of a thought leader. So it was trying to make that distinction because un, until people sort of get the distinction and see the examples, it's, it it's just becomes a little bit theoretical. So I've really put examples all the way through the book, like all the way through the book. And is that what you found when you did your initial research, that most of the content marketing books to date had been more for that inbound marketing versus PR from a PR perspective? Correct, yeah. Was that the gap? Yeah, it was the frustration uh, because I'm saying, well, I'm doing content and I'm doing it in a different way and we're trying to build visibility, influence and trust. Now, some people might say, well, I want to, what's your goal? My goal is to get an end sale and a, more leads and, and we'll put them down the funnel and we'll improve everything to improve the conversion of those leads. But that's that's fine for some businesses, but it's not right for every business. And it's certainly not necessarily relevant for a for a non-profit. And you get a if your philosophy and, and part of the book is philosophical, what is your philosophy around all of this? Around marketing, around comms, um, around social, around content? Because unless you develop your own philosophy, you end up jumping on everything. And that's and we've all done it. I do it I still do it today. Um, but you You've got to sort of come back to, no, this is what I believe in. If you believe in transparency as, as part of your business, then you have to do use content to help take people behind the public face of your business to engender trust. You need to get your experts out of the shadows of the, of the uh, cubicle. You need to get your leaders out of the shadows of the boardroom. And so those are things that engender a part of transparency, try to part of building trust. If you're if you're a, a, an organisation, and we know a few in Australia that trust, they've taken a beating on trust, they need to double, triple down on things to build up their trust bank. And content can be a wonderful way of doing that. How they use that content will be the thing. And so, therefore, what are your goals um, that you want? You know, you might be a business said, well, if people know, like, and trust us, they respect us, they like our reputation, and and we've got credibility in the marketplace, that's what gets us the business. Well, that's a forerunner to everything else. And I think in inbound marketing, we forget, we I talk about before the funnel, they 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 talk about the funnel and I'm thinking, well, what about the reputation that builds before that and the relationships you build and the connections you make and then the deepening of that connection with people. And so they're just some of the differences. Again, there's certainly no right or wrong. I'm not telling people to do this or this. It, I'm just laying it out so people can identify, well, that's probably more me than not. And I tend to identify with those sorts of brands anyway, and that's why I've got a whole lot of them in my uh, in my kit bag because I've been um, building that base of examples for years and years and years, and I have some case studies in the back as well. Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like some great um, yeah, examples, as you say, but also the tools that practitioners can, can pick up and use. So where can people find – where's the best place to find the book? The best place probably is the beautiful thing with um, the world of self-publishing. I self-published this one uh, this time around. Um, it's Amazon everywhere, so Amazon uh, print um, and Amazon uh, ebook Kindle. Uh, but you can also go to Booktopia and get it in Australia. Um, you can also um, also uh, get it from uh, iBooks, Apple Stores, Google Play, all of the, the the usual suspects. And if you go to a shop, they might not have it in the store, in the bookstore, but you can still order it as well. All right. Well, I'll put a link on the blog as well. And this is the summer reading list edition of Smoke Signal. So is there a, a book from the PR sector on your summer reading list or one that you've read recently that you yeah, recommend others Yeah, there's two that I've – okay, so can I double down on this because I can't split them? One I've read and Go I love, it. and I mentioned his name before, Mark Schaefer. Um, he's got a book called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins. Terrific book, uh, quite subversive. Both of these books that I mentioned are going to be quite subversive. Join dots, get your thinking. I think that's really important. And then you can go and, you know, 
when you need the tools, you can go deep. And same with my book, you can get a sweep across all the tools and then you can go deeper on the things that are relevant for you. Um, so I'd, I'd, I recommend Marketing Rebellion by Mark Schaefer. And I'm uh, three quarters of the way through a book called Think, Do, Say by a guy called Ron Tite, T-I-T-E. Uh, he's a terrific writer. Um, and he's all about, well, he's the, 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 um, the thing here is cut the jargon, build purpose, get real. And when I, when I read it, um, get away from the pressure of writing articles, the seven things that successful people do every day. <laughs> he doesn't like that. So he cuts through the jargon beautifully and, and probably one of the best business book writers I've come across. So think do say how to seize attention and build trust in a busy busy world there's a bit of a theme there i think yeah definitely (laughs) thank you so much trevor for your time really appreciate it and good luck with the book thanks very much paul mark jones is chief storyteller and ceo at integrated pr agency filter media His first book, which he's almost finished writing uh, and is due out early next year, is titled Beliefonomics. Mark has worked extensively with businesses and business leaders to unlock what he terms belief moments that capture the hearts and minds of customers. Now through Beliefonomics, he's codifying this process and delivering the first brand storytelling framework that aims to help organizations and professionals realize the true value of their story. Mark, you're nearly finished your first book how has that experience been for you yeah thanks paul um and firstly yeah thanks for having me on the show i what a great setup i think you've just told my whole story i think we're done <laughs> um <laughs> so uh, this the short story with beliefonomics is that about three four years ago i sat down to figure out what's the heartbeat of story you know what's what's let's get under the covers of storytelling it's something that we do at filtered media it's my lifelong passion I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, you know, movie producers. Uh, I used to be a journalist myself, so, you know, always watching out for great journalists and authors and so on. And so I don't know if you've ever had that experience of being quite intuitively good at something, but if you were put in a position where you had to teach somebody the, the true secrets to brilliant, in my case, storytelling, could you do it? And I realized I couldn't, and so I went on this quest. And uh, you know, that's the, if you like, the the genesis of Beliefonomics. I sat down. I actually went away for a weekend in January uh, this year, 2019, and I smashed out probably about I think 11,000, 12,000 words in a weekend. And I thought I was done. And then it turns out I wasn't done. I had more to go. Uh, I've since travelled literally around the world speaking and working with clients and unpacking the Beliefonomics framework. And I'm actually, in hindsight, really glad I did that because what I've been able to do is validate in the real world the principles and the ideas and the frameworks. So, you know, the book's a bit late, (laughs) Um, but at least it's validated. (laughs) So why did you think that, why did you have that struggle to define or explain storytelling? Is it because it's one of those words, isn't it? That it's, it encompasses, I guess, everything, but then it's almost um, potentially overused and not understood at all. So was that, was that the challenge you faced of how do you actually, I guess, pull it apart and put it all back together again? Well, you know, they say most innovation comes from frustration and uh, you find, and you would know this in, in agency land, you find a lot of frustrated uh, marketers out there, uh, people who think they can do your job better than you. Uh, and I would often find clients, in fact, I've had a number of CEOs tell me, oh, yeah, storytelling, I got that. You know, it's beginning, middle and end. And I started thinking about that. And I was like, there's got to be more to it than that. And so there are lots of great principles. You know, I encourage people to look up the Pixar 22 models of storytelling is a good one. Uh, I talk a lot about Joseph Campbell's uh, what's known as the monomyth or the hero's journey. Um, in fact, I consider that to be the best kind of framework of uh, like really what summarizes story structure. Mm-hmm. So, so I went on that kind of quest and the, the, the place that I came to and what I write about in the book is, is that uh, if you go below, below what we think of as demographics, 
in marketing, so age and gender and location and so on. Um, if you start looking at um, what we think of as psychographics, so your value systems, your belief systems, your worldview, your um, you know your interest in what's more important to you, whether it's work-life balance, all these kind of, if you like, deeper things, um, it turns out they frame all of our decision. We, we see our world and our decision-making through, I call it, you know, belief-coloured glasses. <laughs> and, and when I came to that conclusion, that was my big aha. It was to realise that at the heart of story is not just a great framework or something that captures you emotionally, all of you know, which is important, but the degree to which it connects with something quite fundamentally important to you, something um, you know, deep uh, as a reflection of how you see the world. So how do you, in the introduction, I said there that you go, you, the book is about codifying this process. So if it's something as fundamentally important as, as a story that's important to you personally and to your, I guess as a business, your customers, how do you codify that? How do you create a framework that uh, a practitioner, a marketer, a public relations practitioner can pick up and uh, implement? Yeah, so there's actually quite a few different tools that I've developed to tactically help you create really compelling stories. But there are three simple principles at the heart of the framework and in the various workshops I've done with different brands. um, What we do is first unpack um, three different journeys, in fact. So the first thing you have is your brand journey. And this is the, the story of your organization and uh, I break it up into you know six different segments. So a brand, if you can think of like a pizza, right? So you've sliced it up. Um, and your brand begins with an origin story. So what is that origin? And uh, from there you go to uh, the vision because all brands have visionaries and visionaries create visions. And from there you move to trials because it turns out working with people is difficult. And we have the moment of truth where sometimes businesses pivot or, you know, they nearly go under and they recover. And then from there you move to a stage of growth and then finally destiny where you're giving back to the community. So what I found is that brands really want to unpack those uh, six key elements of their story. Um, and then once you've done that, there's two more stages which I'll just simply summarize. You've got the belief journey and that is – uh, a customer's journey from unbelief to belief in your product, your service, an idea, um, a view on your industry or your sector. And you want to be able to tell a story that's informed by your brand that really connects with wherever they're at. For example, you know, I, I speak a lot about climate change because it's quite clearly the biggest story of our time, but also something we can all relate to. You might have people that move from unbelief all the way around to belief in climate change. And so what are the stages? And we map that out. And then finally, what's quite unique about beliefonomics is the is the channel journey. So we know this really well, of course, in communications and marketing, the earned media, shared media, owned media, and paid. But what's interesting is when you zero in on what's the most effective channel, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's earned media, how is that performing and what have you learned about that? So how can you then combine one element of your brand journey that's most compelling, for example, your origin, one element of your belief journey, which might be, say, customers don't believe in climate change, and the third element, which in this case might be earned media. And so what would be a really compelling story that brings all of those together? And and that's how we get to this point of a deep insight into what I call your brand story. And so why a book? You said you've done lots of speaking. There's obviously your blog. You've got a podcast. I mean, why why put this into a book? What What's the benefit of that? Did you, you know, what was the rationale for that from your perspective? Um, well, quite honestly, just because it was in me. And sometimes yep. you've just got to get it out, right? Uh, they also say it's the so most. So it's really that you did. I mean, others have said that in this series, actually. You had that feeling that there's something in there that you wanted to get out. You didn't know what the, the end product may look like, but you knew you had it there to, to kind of get out, out of you. Yeah. So I, I actually did it in reverse. So I developed the framework um, 
and the process that I that I use in workshop settings before the book. And I was working with clients, developing uh, a set of keynote materials, uh, you know, PowerPoints and so forth. And so actually I had all of this content um, and I've been working with a mentor in the public speaking space and, you know, he really encouraged me just to take all of that content that you already have and then tell the story. So I sat down and I wrote out 10 chapters, you know, 10 chapter headings and basically filled in the blanks and that's how the book came around. So how's it going to feel when you, in the new year, you pick up that printed book? It's going to be feeling pretty, uh, pretty satisfied and and excited about the about the outcome that you've achieved. Yeah, I, I look, I, I honestly can't wait. Uh, it's just been one of those things, right? It just feels like a mission now. I've just got to get it done, but I know that when it's there, it'll be, you know, fantastic. So, um, but mostly, look, I'm, I am hoping that it will uh, help people. Uh, I've been really encouraged. I've, I've worked with more than 15 different agencies now within our PROI worldwide network and I'm getting really great feedback. So um, it's, it's from my point of view, exciting to give it to people I've already been working with <laughs> and encouraging on their storytelling journey um, mm-hmm. and I think actually kind of a sense of relief actually too because you know, I promised them a book and they're like, where is it? So, <laughs> <laughs> But it does very much, I mean, it sounds a bit different to the other books that I've talked to, other authors I've spoken to in this series have been more, um, I guess your traditional, you read from cover to cover book, but this seems like it's a really a how-to guide, so a real toolkit that you can, you know, work through and almost get to the, help you get to the end of the journey as a marketer or a PR practitioner. Yeah, well, I mean, as you'd expect from a storyteller, there are stories in there and it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of baked in and I, there is a flow to it. Uh, but I am quite aware that ultimately, you know, it comes back to the individual. What's it going to do for you? I mean, how do I apply this? And so I've, I've had that kind of very kind of practical mindset to it. Um, it it's interesting too that, you know, the longer time goes on, I can continue to iterate and, you know, develop ideas and content. And I've actually had to sort of draw a line in the sand and say, you know, <laughs> save that for the next book, right? Just addition to yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, and so uh, that's the thing about these things when you when you sort of bridge the strategic to the practical. At some point, you've just got to say that's enough. Um, but yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited for hopefully uh, giving people uh, enough inspiration and you know equal parts practical um, tools to to make a difference. Yeah, great. And finally, is there, I mean, you've mentioned a couple already, but is there one book that you'd recommend a PR or communications professionals read that, that you've turned to either for this book or just in general? Well, in general, uh, and you just told me before we started recording, but Tony Langham's Reputation Management has got to be, you know, a must. That's a plug for our friend Tony. Um, yeah. So I'll put that there. But actually, what I would, this is pretty heavy going, but if you haven't read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, I highly recommended he got the nobel prize in economics and uh look it's a bit of a mind-blowing book thinking about human behavior and uh he talks about system one and system two thinking um which in perhaps the simplest forms you know system one thinking is that intuitive uh easy process like driving down an empty freeway you don't even think about it but your brain is actually controlling the car um, and you know, system two is the is the complex maths problem, the difficult conversation, the the concentration task that you really you know the focus time. Um, his point is that we naturally tend to want to get out of system two uh, as fast as we can, or after a certain period of time, because it's exhausting, mentally exhausting. We lapse back into into system one. Uh, some of those ideas actually formed part of the basis of beliefonomics because uh, I've really been inspired by his work on behavioral economics and uh, again just a simple if you like brush across the the surface of that thinking is this idea that as humans we we expect other people to behave rationally we expect people to make rational purchasing decisions but inherently we're all illogical, irrational, highly emotional, you know, prone to indecision or changing our mind. And he goes into all the the psychological reasons why. 
And uh, I think that's particularly important for us as communications professionals that we really get a grip on just how emotional people are. Uh, we live in a world where we're trying to sell stories and communications plans and you know PR strategies to clients in a very much a rational mindset, but they're being applied in this complicated human world that uh, is highly prone to error. <laughs> so the better we get at understanding humans and how we can use storytelling to inspire them to affect change, I think the better we'll all be. Well, I think that's a great philosophical point to finish on. Mark, thank you so much for your time and, and good luck with the book when it comes out next year. Uh, thanks very much. I appreciate the interest. I'm joined by Ian Pritchard. Ian is founder of Melbourne-based brand consultancy Art Science Technology and author of the cult advertising classic, Where Did It All Go Wrong? Adventures at the Dunning-Kruger Peak of Advertising, which aims to provide some clarity in today's chaotic, conflicting, and jargon-happy world of advertising. He's now doing it all again. With uh, He's nearly finished his second book, Shot by Both Sides, What We Have Here is a Failure to Communicate. Ian, thanks for joining me uh, on Smoke Signal. And let's start with your first book. For those who don't know, give us a bit of a synopsis of why, I guess, around the title to start with and then what the uh, proposition of the book is. Yeah, so where did it all go wrong? I never set out to write a book, but I have written, you know, I've been writing stuff for years. I've had a you know, blog for like 15 years or something. And it was, uh, it, it was based around an article that I'd written and it had been. Uh, that year, 2015, that was it was in the top ten of their most read articles for the year, and I thought, oh, that's uh, you know, obviously resonated with people. So it was quite a short article. So I sort of then thought, all right, if I was going to write a longer piece around that, and then it got longer and got longer and got longer, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was you know 40,000 words, uh, and, so, and so you know, it, it, it was a book. But um, you know, the basic. <clears throat> you know, the thought was that around, uh, uh, and you'll appreciate this as a sort of PR guy because you know, advertising and PR, we're all kind of in the in the same boat in terms of trust. Uh, you know, from the from the uh, the public, but the idea was, you know, really that advertising used to be, uh, if not a noble profession, it was at least respected. You know, it was something you wouldn't be embarrassed. Uh, you know. To, to tell your relatives at Christmas that you worked in the advertising industry, uh, but uh, not not so much anymore. You know, I think <laughs> it's now probably one of the one of the least uh, trusted uh, professions. And so I kind of wondered why that might be. Obviously, it's not just one thing. Uh, I speculate throughout the book on uh, you know in, on those sort of various reasons. Hopefully, in a humorous way. Um, and uh, and it's kind of you know my interest is in you know uh, music uh, culture, so there's lots of references to m- movies and music, and also uh, psychology, um, which uh, consumer psychology, which is you know kind of the area I work in, and philosophy as well. So uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a sort of jumble of those things, and you know hopefully. Uh, you know, it's, you can get a laugh out of it as well. Uh, and so, was the conclusion that it's a lost cause, or was there a, uh, some hope at the end? Well, yeah, I'd, you know, it's kind of it does sound like a pessimistic title. You know, I get criticism from people um, who've only read the title and haven't read any of the <laughs> any of the actual book because they think it's negative. But actually, it's very sort of positive. You know, it's very pro creativity, pro intelligence. Uh, and, and I guess the only negative thing is is kind of you know I think um, you know especially maybe senior people in the in the industry you know I think have probably um, you know got got to remember that uh, the, the you know younger people coming in need guidance right they need to uh, they need to be you know there are basic uh, kind of you know skills that need to be developed and. You know, I think we've, uh, as as the kind of older generation, we probably failed a generation of uh, advertising professionals. You know, so uh, so it's not really pointing the finger 
uh, anyone other than pointing it back at you know at myself and, and, and mm -hmm. people like me. So that you know, it's not uh, it is quite humble. <laughs> so, yeah. And so it sounds like in many ways you were almost an accidental author in terms of that article just kept growing, growing, growing. So what was the response to the book and was that surprising for you as you put it out there? Was that a, a, a nerve-wracking moment? And, and then what was the kind of feedback you received? Yeah, well, I mean, I had no expectations. You know, to be honest, I, I um, you know, I found out uh, I, I was talking at a, a conference, you know, and, uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I was sitting uh, with the conference organizer watching the keynote speaker who was this person who shall remain nameless, but they were a sort of social media kind of superstar uh, who basically, you know, he was a good looking guy with a nice shiny suit and hair, nice hair, and who just talked a lot of garbage. Um, and I asked the organizer, how, you know, what, how much is he getting paid? You know, and they told me a number. And I said, how do I get that? He said, well, <laughs> he said, "He said you've got you've got to be a, you've got to be a published author, mate." And so, so I thought, <laughs> you know, right now I know what I have to do. You know? So uh, you know, but the, the the sort of article that's at the centre of the book was written in 2015, really, which was four years ago, and I was a bit worried. I thought, uh, by the time I get this book out, will it be out of date? Um, but uh, you know, I talk about this idea of a Dunning-Kruger peak uh, of advertising, you know, but I shouldn't have worried because, you know, we haven't, we're not even near the peak yet. You know, I think the capacity for stupidity uh, in this industry really uh, knows no bounds, you know, so, uh, <laughs> so I needn't have worried. You know. I guess it's a, um, you could use US politics as an analogy, right? Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> your tickets gets to its its peak it's uh <laughs> yeah that's it yeah. i think old uh sort of donald there you know he's kind of you know he's thinking you know how far can i push this and get away yeah. with it <laughs> and he's surprising himself you know? so i trust you're getting those high paying uh speaking gigs now uh well one or two you know i wouldn't say high paying but you know to actually you know get paid at all is a sort of minor triumph so I'll, I'll, I'll take that and so you decided to write a second book so tell us a little bit about that and and why you decided to do it all again uh, well i you know obviously I, I you know the first book came out and i just keep keep writing stuff but uh, i think you know back in the day you know I'd, i would as i said i mean i had a blog for 13 years 15 years i don't write so much on that anymore I think it's just kind of gone out of, you know, there used to there used to be quite a big community of advertising blogs, but it's kind of died off now. Um, but that, you know, I like. I they like, need the podcast now. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, I need to get a podcast. I need to. That's all right. <laughs> uh, but I still like writing, and so uh, so with this one, you know, I had less of a. I, I didn't. I didn't. You know, the, it wasn't like I was starting with two or three articles to build around. It was really starting from scratch. So I just really let myself get led by wherever the the interest uh, took me. So uh, I'm kind of looking at, uh, so you know, the title shot by both sides. I mean, that comes from a old sort of post-punk song from 1978, Howard DeVoto. But, the, you know, it's kind of, uh, the idea is being stuck in the middle. Uh, you know, on the, on the one side, you've got, uh, so this is talking about advertising. You've got the the, the sort of anti-digital brigade, where everything Facebook do or Google does or digital advertising does needs to be shot down. And then on the other side, you've got the pure, you know, digital uh, programmatic ad tech uh, people. Uh, now the thing is, you know, you know, really the truth is somewhere in between. But, you know, again, it's a little bit of, it's probably, you know, another metaphor for the current political situation where, you know, most, you know, uh, a lot of people are kind of feel like they're politically homeless, you know, because they don't identify with the, with the sort of madness of the right or the madness of the left. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think uh, in, in advertising as well, it's a, it's a sort of dangerous place to be to say, well, this, you know, we should hold on to what works from the past. Uh, but also be innovating 
on the other side with, with, with what's new, but no, nobody wants to take that sort of middle way. So, um, so it's, it's a bit about that and it's a bit about, uh, it was also really a sort of journey of, of, of myself sort of making peace, I guess, with, you know, sort of, uh, postmodernism, you know, and, uh, you know, cause I think a lot of the, um, in terms of, uh, postmodern communications, uh, you know, landscape, I guess that, you know, on the one hand, you've got the very creative side of postmodernism, uh, which is full of sort of, you know, reflexivity, irony, you know, some elements of pastiche and parody, but then you've got the other sort of not so nice side of postmodernism, which is, you know, surveillance, uh, capitalism, uh, essentially. So it's, you know, it's a bit, a bit about those sort of two things, you know, it's actually quite funny as well. It sounds terribly uh, earnest when I talk about it, but it's, uh, you know, so it's postmodernism, but with jokes and stuff as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I saw you write was around, around that communication piece was this idea of um, the problem is that in, um, intelligence and rational thinking represent two fundamentally different constructs. So you say people have an inability to reason despite having adequate intelligence. So can you, is that kind of, how does that fit with that broader discussion in the book? Well, it's, you know, that's, the, it's one sort of component, really. It's about how, um, uh, uh, you know, ideologies can sort of uh, infect uh, minds, if you like. So people that are ordinarily, you know, very sort of clever, can, the minds can be parasitized by attractive uh, propositions, even though. So the, the old Simon Sinek LinkedIn or Facebook kind of posts with, with one liners? Is that the type of well, thing you're well, talking about? Well, well, that's it. I mean, the likes of, you know, I know Simon Sinek's a bit of a, uh, you know, he's a bit of a sort of hero of the, the PR uh, community. To be honest, there's not, there's not much wrong with his golden circle model. Uh, I, I think. Uh, you know, I kind of joke uh, in the book that I was, uh, you know, that he's no mug. You know, I would kill for like a tenth of his uh, book sales. But it, it's kind of, it's it's those platitudes that are very easily, you know, digestible and repeatable uh, that people can do without really sort of thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, and that sort of permeates through kind of HR departments and strategy away days. You know, I think last year I went on three different uh, away days for different things and it was all some variant on the Simon Sinek uh, model. You know, I was, I was, you know, there were people saying to me, Ian, you need to find your why. And I said, well, actually, I did find it three weeks ago when we did this uh, the last time. You know? um, but, uh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of wishful thinking element to it, which I think is not is not healthy because uh, you know organisations need to deal with uh, with with, think, you know, with situations as they actually are, not idealised situations. Um, but is the is the is the th- is the thesis then that the world and business is too complex to solve with simple phrases and. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it is, it, you know, uh, it, you, can, you, you can solve things with simple frameworks, uh, uh, but they need to be grounded in, in reality, you know, which is, uh, uh, you know, there is, there's a kind of sciences around human behavior, what motivates people, why we do the things we do. And, and the bad news is that people uh, actually are quite self-interested. Uh, and, uh, you know, prone to be driven to behaviours by emotions and, uh, and feelings that might be less than, than wholesome, you know. So, um, but if you know that, you can work with that. You can design incentives uh, around that. But if you work under the false, you know, presumption that people are actually opposite of self-interest, you know, it's kind of people are sort of benevolent, you know, uh, putting others before their own interests, then you, then you go off in the uh, in wrong directions. But that, you know, some people don't like to hear that, but unfortunately that's, uh, you know, that's the truth about human nature. 
So do you expect the book to be controversial? Uh, well, only if people read it. That's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, That's a yeah, no, uh, no, I don't think so. There's enough. There's enough uh, um, fun stuff in there that uh, I can maybe I get away with uh, with some of the some of the controversy, you know. And so, do you call yourself an author and writer now, or an advertising man still? I, I'm st- I'm still an art guy. The 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 writing's a sort of hobby. And do you think this would be this will be the last one, or never say never? Uh, no, uh, no, this, I mean, the, uh, you know, I'm actually writing that I'm writing the third one, um, oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, just now. So, uh, which is, you know, it's kind of, I'm not, I'm not waiting to see what the response to anything is before I put the next one out. You know, I'm just going to keep churning them out and, uh, and if, if, if no one buys them, well, so be it, you know? All right, thank you so much for that. You know, it uh, sounds really interesting, and look forward to to seeing that in February. So, before we finish up, if I can get you to give one other book you'd recommend, I guess to a, a PR professional or an advertising professional that they should read, one that's kind of made an impact for you. Yeah, well, um, you know, obviously you primed me with this question. The one, the one that I've picked up, which uh, it came out in two thousand and seventeen, and it's by a evolutionary biologist called Edward O. Wilson. He's the recognized as the world's greatest living expert on ant uh, behavior. So he's written numerous books about ants, um, all different species. But this particular book is about humans. Uh, okay. I was wondering where we were going. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so the book is called The Origins of Creativity. And what, and what what he aims to do, and I think he succeeds in doing in the book, is is bringing together the sort of uh, 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 hard science, if you like. Uh, I don't really like that expression, but you know what I mean. Uh, and and humanities or creativity, uh, and sort of breaking down that false dichotomy again. That you know, uh, you know, it's not art on one side, science on the other. There is a science to art, why we appreciate art, why we make art, why we make art the way that we do. Uh, and I think, you know, and it's very engagingly written for a science book, uh, accessible uh, to everyone. So I think, you know, one thing I always say, you know, if I meet students or young people in the industry is kind of, you know, don't really get too bogged down in just reading every marketing book or every PR book or advertising book that comes out, expand your, you know, professional mm-hmm. reading, uh, you know, out into other areas. So, I mean, I think anyone, you know, in communications of any flavor, you know, the biggest challenge is getting noticed, you know, in the first place. And to do that, it needs to be creative, whether that's in visual imagery or just the way it's written or the context that appears or getting something out at the right moment, you know, requires creativity. So uh, this book really uh, describes creativity from a from a deep sort of uh, evolutionary standpoint, what it's for, uh, how it works, why we like it. So that's, Fantastic. My, that's my book recommendation. So, and plus, yeah, if, great, you know, if you get that one and you're on the beach in, in the summer reading that, you're going to look very, very smart uh, to walk past. <laughs> <laughs> great thanks for that Ed. i think that's a great tip to read read more widely than just your yeah your chosen kind of niche um and creativity certainly um an important one that is only yeah as you say only becoming even more important um to cut through the noise so thank you so much for your time and good luck with your second book all right brilliant thanks paul I'm Paul Cheel, and you have been listening to the final episode of Smoke Signal for 2019. I hope you find some time over the holiday period to relax and read one of the books discussed on this episode. Until next year, have a safe and happy holiday season. Thanks for your ongoing support. Please do rate Smoke Signal on iTunes or subscribe via the blog. Just search Smoke Signal Podcast. <laughs>